Welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. It is Monday night, around 8 p.m., October 3rd. Hurricanes are preparing to take on North Carolina this week, their ACC opener at a 2-2 two and two record by week. And today, Mario Cristobal announced that Tyler Van Dyke is going to remain his starting quarterback for this game. So a lot of news coming out of Mario's first uh, media interviews since uh, the Middle Tennessee, Middle Tennessee State loss. And uh, we had a lot of people watching our last video. We got up to think over 3,000 uh, views. And uh, all the credit really goes to the man that I've got on the show again. That would be one Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day podcast. People love to hear what Carlos thinks, man. I've had so many people message me, Carlos, saying like, who is this guy? Where did he come from? He's a superstar. Well, listen, man. Um, thankfully, somebody likes to hear me because I've been doing this show on my own in my house for years. And my wife has completely ignored me and my child was too young to understand. And now she does understand. She doesn't want to hear. It. So thankfully, thanks you. Thank you to everyone that you don't find me annoying. You don't find me distracting and you like to hear my takes. Um, but, I, but I think it's more of a balancing act because you are knowledgeable where I am uh, like nuts. So I think it's a good balance between the two of us. Um, <laughs> but I think the ones we really got to thank are the Hurricanes for playing the way to did against Middle Tennessee and allowing us to open up this vent session to the Hurricane fan base where we can have these exchanges and, and therapeutically work through this loss. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, I really did feel like it was therapy because we, we really talked about a lot of bigger issues that, that weren't just related to X's and O's. And I kind of like it when our conversations go that route, because I feel like too many times, um, you know, we can get lost in film study or PFF rankings or uh, too many other things that really don't tell you the story of what's happening with the program. And so I enjoy having you on, Carlos. I think we, we've uh, become a pretty good tag team here in, in terms of dissecting this team. And, and I like the fact that we're getting support um, from, from a lot of different viewers now on this YouTube channel. We're getting our subscriber numbers up here as well. Um, and, and I'd love to see it pay off at The Athletic as well if I get some more subscriptions from, from Miami. Help a man out. Sign up for The Athletic. I mean, right now, you and I, I would say we are at the current level of, let's say, the Rockers, right? Right. We're working our way up in the tag team ranks. We're not quite there yet. Maybe we get to the. Maybe we become the Bushwhackers next. Right. We can get our way up. Maybe the ultimate goal is the Legion of Doom. Right. We want to be the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk. But if right we, now we're working our way up. All right. We we just want to. Right now, if we can take the Intercontinental Crown in the next few years, we'll be happy with that. That'd be happy, man. I'll take it. Uh, just like winning the Coastal, man. If we can win the Coastal, I'll take it. <laughs> well, this is the last year to win the Coastal, right? Um. I will say uh, I didn't have a bye week. I, I drove up to go see my parents in St. Augustine, and then I drove over to Tallahassee to go watch the Seminoles, the previously unbeaten Seminoles, uh, take on Wake Forest. And, of course, I am the jinx, as I've said to many Miami uh, readers of mine for the last 20-plus years. Whenever I cover your team, watch out. They're going to start losing. And sure enough, that's what happened to Florida State. So I brought the jinx with me to Tallahassee, and it paid off. Uh, as the Seminoles fell behind 28-7. Carlos, the one thing I will say, okay, I was impressed with this Wake Forest slow mesh thing that they do, right? Sam Hartman, um, those running backs. Like, why can't Miami do that? Why can't we get the Hurricanes to adopt a similar type offense? And suddenly, and I know you and I talked about this over the weekend, and I'm going to hear what you, your thoughts on it, but 
shouldn't that be something Miami considers in the offseason, you know, kind of doing something that Wake Forest has managed to pull off? Because they got, I mean, you look at their recruiting rankings, right, of, of the classes and the talent that they get in there. They're in the 60s and 70s every single year, Carlos. And yet Dave Clawson's a, a fabulous coach. He maximizes the talent of his players, and he's got a system that Florida State could not handle. <clears throat> the thing about slow mesh, it's, it's a lot like, I told you, the triple option. Um, and other offenses that require an intense level of timing and practice, a, a time to it, because it's something that, that requires precision and precision at a level that you're not going to find in a lot of college programs. The reason why you're able to do it at Wake Forest is because you got a bunch of guys that last four, five, on occasion, if you get a medical redshirt, six years in that program that can learn the system, work through it and adapt to it <clears throat> and are learning it from the time they come on campus. And by the time they get to play it on the field, they've been around it two or three years, right? Before mm -hmm. they even touch the field. So it requires a lot of, it's, it's labor intensive in installation and in execution. So if you don't have that kind of stuff going, if you've got guys like, let's say major programs like Miami that have guys that bounce after three years, after red, red shirt sophomore year, after their junior year, guys coming in out of the program, guys that start right away. The you time mean the you old Miami. Come. You mean the old Miami that actually had guys drafted. But go ahead, well, continue. Just because they leave doesn't mean they're getting drafted. Remember, guys were still leaving, we were, and they were getting drafted. So that's that's a dirty little secret there. But we'll we'll keep it moving. Um, but yeah, I think to me it's it's more about the stuff you use. You use that kind of stuff in programs where you know you're going to have guys around for a long time, and you're limited athletically. So you have to use a scheme that's different to try and create different stressors and challenges to opponents as you play them. And that's why Wake has been so good at it because they've had it on their first soul. And it's no mistake that the reason why it's blowing up over the last couple of years really offensively is because of Sam Hartman, because he's been running it for so long and understands the offense so well and is so good at running it. Yes, they were okay when the backup was in there before while Sam Hartman was out, but it's at a different level with Sam Hartman in there. It completely paralyzes the defense because yeah. what happens is the linebackers and the safeties have to see what's going to happen. Is he going to hand the ball off to the running back? Is he going to pull back and throw it over our heads? And all it does is buy time for the receivers to get deeper downfield to, to, you know, you can't cover for more than three seconds. Most teams can. I mean, you just, uh, an elite quarterback is going to find somebody open. And what happens is, Florida State, anyway, they decided, well, we're going to sit back in coverage, right? We're not going to blitz this guy very often. They basically sat back in coverage. And Hartman and his receivers just want to work. Dink, dunk, yeah. dunk. And, and anytime Florida State did bring pressure, a safety, a, you know, linebacker, Hartman was so good at just reading where the pressure was coming from, and he would run the opposite direction. And just there was nobody there to stop him. And yet, you look at those players, Carlos, it's Duke-level talent. It's Duke-level talent. It, th these aren't, you know, go back and look the last several years. Wake Forest, yes, they're putting guys in the NFL. But these aren't a, a boatload of first-round picks. These aren't, I mean, these are guys who just develop. And it, it really was impressive to me. And it really comes back to the core of all this, which is a question that Miami fans are, are asking, right? Like, well, are these guys going to develop talent? Are they going to coach these guys better? Are they going to make them better players? Or are we going to continue to have you know, these elite recruiting classes come in here, these top 20, top 10, top five, potentially under Mario. And the kids are just never going to get it. They're never going to play to the level that you want them to. And I don't know the answer to the question. I just know this watching those Wake Forest kids play. They care. Okay. They care. They love, they love the system they're in. They're hungry as hell and they play hard. And I, that's what I took away from leaving that place was 
it's amazing, but you really don't need that much talent to win in college football. You can win 10, 11 games like Wake Forest is doing with great coaching and players who are bought in. And I'd love to see Miami do the same thing, become a team that maximizes what it has year to year to year instead of always feeling like they're not living up to the standard. Right. And I think part of the reason why is like we just talked about when you run this, when you have a program and that, that system is ingrained in that program for so long that you know what you're going to run as soon as you're recruited, as soon as you come on campus, everybody's been in the system four five, six years, solid coaching staff and with not a lot of turnover, you're running the same thing on offense and defense every year. That makes a huge difference because you're developing and growing guys in that system. It's like if you're in a high school program and you have middle school, JV and varsity, right? If you're running the same offense in middle school, JV and varsity, by the time you go from eighth grade to your junior year in high school, you know that shit like the back of your hand, right? So you're, you're ready for any situation. You don't necessarily have to come up with new concepts because you are ready to face whatever they throw at you within the concepts you've learned. <clears throat> and that's how those offenses work and those systems work. The problem in Miami has been that you've had so much turnover over the years between coaching staffs, coordinators, head coaches, players, that there's never any consistency in terms of scheme on one side of the ball or the other. It's always been a flip, changing it here and there, here and there, here and there. What we're going to have long-term with Mario is, because at this, there's no other choice because you're going to give him at least five, six years because of the contract. He's going to create his system. He's going to ingrain it in the program. It may be ugly at first, like we're seeing. There may be some hiccups or maybe bumps in the roads or there may be setbacks. But eventually, you're going to know Miami for – the type of defense they play and the type of offense they play and the system that Mario wants implemented because he's going to keep hiring coaches as guys lead that continue that system. So it's ingrained in the program that becomes the identity of the program. Like I said last week, I think Mario's ideal for this program, what he wants to see is Georgia, the way they play offense and the way they play defense. Of course, not in a 30 front like Georgia does in an odd front, but in a four down front and on offense, same thing. They want to run the ball. They want to power it. They want to use tight ends running backs and receivers in the passing game and not be limited to, okay, this year we've got a great quarterback and a great receiver. We're going to be good on offense. Next year they leave. We're restarting. We're not there yet. So now we're going to take a step back. No, he wants a system that can be multiple and versatile and grind out wins if they have to, or open it up and blow you out. And that's what, what they're looking to build. It's just going to take time. Yeah. It requires complete buy-in right from your roster. Absolutely. Those players have to be unselfish. They have to be uh, thinking about the bigger picture, which is winning. And I think, unfortunately, you know, people ask this question, why is it, that, you know, schools like Wake Forest can do this? Why is it that schools like Georgia Tech, right, who didn't recruit great for years, can win with Paul Johnson's old system, right? They won the conference. They won the division multiple times. I really do think it comes down to how humble those players are and how into being a team player, team first approach really equates to success. And so I know coaches preach it all the time. I know fans don't want to hear that because that's not sexy. That's not a good conversation, right? They're just like, oh, you're so cliche. Oh, yeah, you, it's just player buy-in, right? It's just, hey, just listen to what the coach says and execute. The reality is, like, in, in today's game with the NIL market, with, with all the other factors that affect ego, the way these kids are sort of propped up as four- and five-star prospects, it is, I think, a more difficult challenge to get players to buy in when you have a little bit of trouble, just a little bit, just lose a game here or there. And it, and it spins into one thing or after another. And, you know, that's a, that was part of the conversation we had with Kevin Steele today. Like I asked him the question about the locker room. How did the locker room sort of respond after getting their asses handed to them by middle Tennessee state? You know, those four big plays, he says, well, it's not divisive. You know, Kevin's been in a lot of different locker rooms. Um, 
SEC, ACC, all over the place, all over the country, a lot of great teams. And he, he seems to think that there's no division in this locker room. Mario seems to think that, you know, the team's going to get behind Tyler Van Dyke. But we'll know. We'll know Saturday. Pretty, pretty early in that game against North Carolina because Drake May is coming to town with a really good offense that's averaging 45 points a game, over 500 yards of offense, 19 touchdowns, one interception for this redshirt freshman who Kevin Steele, by the way, uh, compared him to Buffalo Buffalo Bills quarterback Josh Allen. He, that's his comparison. Okay, Josh Allen to me oh, might, just, be, the best, just might be the best player in the NFL right now. Okay, yeah, just Josh Allen. No big deal. <laughs> so uh, it, it, it's a daunting challenge. But if you know, through the first couple of weeks, it felt like Miami could deal with adversity. Right? They struggled a little against Southern Miss in the first half. They came out. And they played great. They they couldn't score in the red zone against Texas A&M. They had to settle for field goals, but they stayed in the game. They stayed hungry. This last game was the first one where we, we saw signs of the old Miami, right? The one under Manny Diaz that, that had personality problems. Um, and now, you know, Tyler Van Dyke's the quarterback and, and Jake Garcia, who lifted the team up, gave him a bit of a boost in that second half, uh, goes back to the bench. We don't know how long. We really don't know how long that leash is going to be. But I'm telling you, man, I'm going to be looking for signs first and second quarter of, of how this team responds. Well, listen, I, you know, first of all, let's get back to the whole point of, you know, these players in the buy-in. I said something on my podcast last episode where I talked about if I were Mario Cristobal and this is just a free, free game I'm dropping, you don't have to copyright it and pay me. I'd let you get it for free. Make shirts that say it's all about the you. It's not all about you. There you go. It's all about the you. It's not all about you. And that's the mindset that this team needs to have moving forward. They have to put them, put the team ahead of themselves. And they have to notice that when they don't do that, they're not as, as successful. And in the long run, it hurts them individually because their team looks like shit on the field. They perform poorly and their draft stock drops, right? right. So all those all those are things that they got to take care of. I, I'm scared about Drake. Drake may drop 600 yards on the Hurricanes and six touchdowns this weekend. I hope not. God, please. But it's God's plan. Let's see what happens. Um, defensively, I mean – it, it's it's crazy to me to go from the AM game. Yes, AM's offense is, is not good, but they they physically played in, in a way that made you feel like they were going to be able to handle ACC competition moving forward. Then they throw that, they lay an egg against Middle Tennessee. Even against Southern Miss, they gave up seven points. As bad as they were in coverage and the things that they did, they still only held them seven points. So it's 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 all about how this team shows up. And the main part of that, that main cog is Tyler Van Dyke. How does he show up in this game? I said on my pod also, if I if they start Tyler, and I totally understand why they started Tyler, they want to save this kid. They want this kid to, to get back to what he was, to help him push forward to the next step in the league and really rally this team around him because he has the ability, all the ability in the world. But if I'm the Hurricanes, the first thing I do, first play of the game on offense, is I don't give a shit what the coverage is. I'm throwing the ball down the field. I'm giving this kid confidence. I'm putting I'm putting my, the ball in his hands and saying, you like to go downtown? This is where you, where you thrived last year? I don't give a shit what it is. We're calling the first play. If it gets picked, all right, that's on us, but we're letting you do it. We're giving you all the confidence in the world. Let it rip and let him get into the flow of the game by just dropping a deep one on the first one, even if it's incomplete. And then let him get in the flow of the game with bubbles, RPOs, things that are easy catches and easy throws that allow him to get into a rhythm early on and don't force him to read multiple routes across the field and, and against the coverage. So I think more than anything, the most important thing more than any other game this year, the running game is going to be key. And it's unfortunate because of the, the injuries in the running back room, and the tight end room, 
Because what you want to do is limit the possessions that Carolina gets. You want to try and control the clock. You want to limit their possessions. You want to give them a three. If they get off the field, you don't want to give them the ball back. And it's a situation where if you're if you're stopping their momentum that way, it's going to hurt Carolina's offense because they like to go so fast. And that's part of how they're able to score quickly is through their pace. And if you slow that pace down and if you frustrate them, then maybe you start getting some turnovers off Drake May or the running backs try to press and they fumble the ball. And you get into a situation where you shorten the game and you give yourself a chance in the fourth quarter, which is all you can ask. Um. Lot, lot to digest there. You, we hit a lot of different subjects. Um, one thing I want to kind of stick to here early is the, the Van Dyke, and then, but I wanted to mention the injuries. Mario really didn't provide much of an update on the running backs. We don't know what's going to happen with Jalen Knighton, um, who, by the way, began the season injured. If you remember, um, Henry Parrish looked to me. I'm not. I mean, I'm, I can sit here and speculate for you. I can say it looked to me like a head injury, like a concussion type related yeah. event, uh, but we don't know for sure. Um, and then, you know, Elijah Royal, we know he's hurt and he may be out. So those are three key guys that were part of the rotation. Royal started three games this year. He's averaging 35 snaps a game, a lot, plays a lot in those double tight end sets. Uh, so that's a big loss. Um, and and so uh, and, and then from, you know, a defensive standpoint, we still don't know the situation with Tyreek Stevenson uh, at cornerback. Uh, so, again, I know some people tune in here wanting to get information on injuries. I'm just as in the dark as everybody else. Mario, the best coverage and the best blocking that I've seen all season happened in the media press conference room uh, today uh, between Mario and Kevin Steele. Uh, They did an unbelievable job repressing information on uh, injuries to make sure that that kind of stuff did not get out. Um, But back to Tyler, uh, just some of the statistics, raw numbers here for you, Real, real easy. This is easy, okay? Um, 59% completion percentage, 200 yards per game, 6.8 per pass attempt, four touchdowns, three picks. Okay. That's in the four games this season. In his last six games last year, when they went five and one, 66% completion percentage, 366 yards per game, 9.2 yards per attempt, 20 touchdowns, three picks. Um, and a couple of other numbers that I researched here. Um, obviously, you know, people talk about tempo, right? They're not, they're not playing fast enough. Um, couple factors. Miami's obviously running the ball more. Okay. When you run the ball more, you're going to be a little slower when you're not getting a first down or, or, or picking up much yardage. Cause you, you have to kind of figure out, okay, what do we do now? It's second and long or third and long. Um, hurricanes were the worst rushing team in the ACC last year, 3.69 yards per carry. They're averaging 4.4, even with the dud that they put up against middle Tennessee state. Um, now, the average scoring drive over the last six games last year in 2021, seven plays, 63 yards, two minutes, 42 seconds. Okay? That's fast. That's fast getting down the field, either kicking a field goal or scoring a touchdown. Of the 36 scoring drives Tyler Van Dyke led over the last six games last year, only seven took 10 plays or longer. This year, under Gaddis. Miami's average scoring drive is nine plays, 59 yards, choose up three minutes and 42 seconds off the clock. So literally two more plays and an extra minute off the clock. Okay. So it's hard to get into a rhythm when you aren't running hurry up anymore. Why? Because the defense has the time to, to regroup, right? To make their own personnel changes. Guys aren't as tired. And so what you need then is to have the offensive line that can maul people and, and physically move them out of the way. And so when you're not playing fast, 
you sputter a little more. If you don't complete the pass, if you have a drop, if your running back slips, whatever. If, if you if you're not executing at a high level, you are gonna nine times out of ten, your drive's gonna fizzle. Um, of the 22 scoring drives in the first four games for Miami this season, 12 have required 10 or more plays. Okay, it just tells you they're this they're built differently, they execute differently, they play differently. To um, me, that's not that's not an issue, and I think you know that whole point. To me, it's not an issue about them the pace they're playing with. To me, it's an issue with big plays. That means mm-hmm. they're not creating big plays. Right. You're not seeing them connect on twenty yard, uh, twenty plus yard passes. You're not seeing uh, big runs being broken broken open. You're not seeing guys catch a quick slant and go and get into the end zone. And you're not seeing wheel routes come to the backfield and hitting those guys and letting them score. Um, there's there's been a lack of explosive plays on offense. Some of that is due to the the design of the offense. Some of that is due to the execution of the receivers. Some of that is due to the execution of the quarterback. Because you saw when when Jake Garcia got in the game, they got some pretty explosive plays pretty quickly because he came in there slinging. Right. So the thing is now, you you we just said how good Wake Forest is on offense, right? And they're deliberate. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily high pace. They're deliberate in how they run their slow mesh and everything they do. To me, it's not necessarily a thing about pace or not pace. I think you need to use varying paces throughout the game, depending on the situation. I don't think going hurry up all the time is necessarily the best. Um, And sometimes if you don't have depth, going hurry up is going to kill you anyway, because you're going to be gassed. So you want to take your time and execute as best possible and try and get to the right play. I think overall, what this offense needs, they need to find a spark, a big play spark that used to come from Jalen Knighton, who's been hurt. That used to come from Charleston Ramble, who's not here anymore. Mike Harley used to come in and make those plays, who's not here anymore. Now you're getting it sporadically from Keyshawn Smith. Other than that, there's no there's no big place to be found. And that's the issue with the offense to me, at least at this point in the season. I think you've got to find a way to generate some big plays out of this offense, whether you go quicker pace or not. It just they need to find big plays somewhere. Right. Well, I think part of it part of their success last year was because they ran a faster pace because de- like I said, defenses couldn't make changes fast enough. They couldn't make adjustments sometimes and they were tired. You were gassing the defense. So that, I think it does go hand in hand a little bit in that regard where you're going to get the defense to make more mistakes when they're hurried up. I mean, it's just the way it is. Um, all right. The other, the other aspect, and you kind of touched on this last show or the, the last pod that we did is that Tyler's not throwing deep. Um, I looked up the numbers Um Last year, he averaged a throw of 20 yards downfield or longer on 20% of his dropbacks. This season, that percentage is down to 9%. Yep. Okay, he's just not taking the shots. Jake Garcia, meanwhile, who's played obviously in limited snaps, uh, he's only had 31 dropbacks total. He's gone deep on seven of his 31 dropbacks, 23%. So he's just more aggressive. Now, I asked uh, Josh Gaddis today if he's deliberately game-planned it that way. In other words... You know, is is Jake's game plan different than what Tyler runs? And he said no. He says it's just decision making, pretty much. It's the flow of the game. It's what happens in that moment. Um, but anyway, this is all good background because Saturday we'll find out one way or another who really will be the quarterback moving forward. I think if Tyler Van Dyke leads Miami to a win and they get their sea legs back and they play great on offense and the defense stops giving up big plays, then I think you can settle back into okay. They had one huge clunker against Middle Tennessee State. But if the trend continues and they get their asses handed to them again for the second week, which I don't care what Las Vegas says. I don't know how Las Vegas has Miami at four and a half point favor going into this game. But, hey, that's why I'm not in Vegas. Um, 
but if they lose and they get crushed the way I think they probably will, um, then, you know, then all bets are off as far as who's the starting quarterback and what changes they make. Yeah, I think there's if there's a game for TBD to get right, this is the right week to do it because North Carolina is giving up over 32 points a game and yeah. uh, their pass defense isn't great. So if there's a week to get right, this is a week. Now, the thing is, can the defense hang on enough, uh, slow Carolina enough for us to score the necessary points to win? I think it's going to take at least 31 to 35 points to try and get a victory here. I don't think anything less than that is, is going to be enough. So does TVD, I think TVD after this, this experience with Middle Tennessee and, and seeing everything that's been said about him and knowing that this could be his last shot to retain the starting job here at Miami, I think he's going to come out guns blazing. I think he's going to try and push the ball down the field. I think he's going to make throws that he hasn't made all season to date. Um, because I think, you know, part of it has been his, his neat, his adjusting to the new offense, adjusting to the way the offense operates, the reads, the things he has to get used to. I think part of it has been his mechanics because I think he got a little messed up in the off season. Um, the way he was throwing the ball, trying to work on off platform throws and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, but I also think he's been tentative in, in pushing the ball down the field because he didn't want to turn the ball over and mess up his stats and not look good uh, to the NFL. So I think that's been part of it as well. I think he's got to play with reckless abandon, with, with no stress, no, no, no pressure. Just go out there and play with a chip on your shoulder. Like, hey, listen, I'm the man. I'm going to make this happen, and we're going to score points. And that's the way he's got to be. He's got to be North Carolina State TBD. You know, when he talked to shit before that game and went out there confident and bald, that's what he's got to do. He's got to find that within himself again. And if he does, the team will rally behind him. And then on the other side of the ball, we've already mentioned how good Drake May is. Um, but Kevin Steele has had some experience with with Phil Longo. They went head to head twice as coordinators um, when Phil was at Ole Miss with DK Metcalf and AJ Brown and Van Jefferson, who were all in the NFL uh, as receivers. Um, Auburn won both of those games. Uh, Kevin Steele's defense actually did a pretty good job on uh, Phil Longo's squad. Uh, I think the, the the one in 2017 was a 44-23 win by Auburn. Um, you know, they gave up yards, but they had turnovers. And then in 2018, it was 31-16 to Auburn at Ole Miss. Um, they basically held them the field goals through the first three quarters, got two fourth down stops. Uh, A.J. Brown was still on that team for uh, for Ole Miss. And, Who were the uh, quarterbacks? Jeremiah Masoli? No. Uh, no. No. <laughs> um, I, I think Shay was Shay, Shay was it Shay Turner? I can't remember the kid's name now. I I, I had the one to Michigan. Yes, right. The one had previously gone to Michigan, and the next year was it was a guy I wasn't too familiar with. Um, but they had receivers, they had playmakers like like North Carolina does, um, and they could put up points. And 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 the, you know they they weren't bad offensive teams. So um, you know Phil Longo's he's lit up Manny Diaz for oh, yeah, three yeah. years in a row. Um, we forget 45 points last year in that shootout up in, in, in Chapel Hill. So, I mean, they're, they're going to score points. The question is, is Miami going to match it? Are they going to be able to, to, to get out of their funk? A um, couple more notations. Um, I know people have been killing DJ Ivy um, for getting beat on that, on that deep pass play. Okay. Sidebar conversation today. I'm not going to mention names, but essentially on that 98 yard touchdown play, Miami was the goal of that whole possession. Okay. was create a turnover. They had just given up the ball. They're down 14 points, fourth quarter. And they're basically trying to create a safety, trying to create some sort of negative play. And the problem was Ivy went press instead of sitting back. Cause he didn't have help over the top and got beat. So, 
Um, other than that, he played well the first three games. In fact, and this is in my story that will come out tomorrow and still hasn't published, but um, according to PFF, he'd only allowed six completions on 12 targets through the first three games. Um, and Miami's secondary in terms of coverage, okay, I'm going to give you some, some PFF rankings. Um, James Williams was first. Tyreek Stevenson was uh, third. Cameron Kitchens was 15th. And Ivy was 35th in the ACC out of like 90 guys going into that game in terms of cur- coverage numbers. So, that, yes, you know, they had done okay. It w- yes, there were moments against Southern Miss and Bethune-Cookman, but all in all, it, it, it wasn't disastrous like it was against Middle Tennessee to that point. And now after, you know, week five action, James Williams is now third in, in pass coverage. Kinchins is sixth, Stevenson 14th, and Ivy's 55th. So he fell quite a bit after that. After that performance, regression to the mean. That was the tenth touchdown pass DJ Ivy has allowed in his career at Miami. He's going to go on the Wall of Fame just for not the right reasons. Um. So anyway, we've covered most of my stats and notes from from, D- from DJ Ivy. To me, is like it's an old time Dolphins fan. Who do you compare DJ Ivy to? There's one guy that sticks out in my mind. Paul Agford, <laughs> him or JB Brown. JB Brown, yeah, JB Brown. That would be the other. That was my second answer. I thought maybe you know, give, hit you with both of them. Um, I'm glad you brought JB back. Oh, so just many, Burton Brown. So many wonderful, so many wonderful memories. So many wonderful memories. Just by, I remember the back of his jersey so well. Thirty-seven, yeah, thirty-seven with the brown in the back, and just chasing somebody down because he couldn't catch. <laughs> Uh, you know what? The cornerback is such an unforgiving position where you don't look as bad when you have safety help. But when, yeah. when you turn around and you look and nobody's back there, you're just you're by yourself. There, there might not be a worse feeling in sports, right? Yeah, so you're all alone, man. It's, it's on you and everybody's watching. <laughs> um, all right. I want to get to the mailbag and then we'll wrap this puppy up um, again. I think I'm going to try to get Andy Bitter on who covers Virginia Tech. Miami plays at Virginia Tech after this week, and I'll be going up to Blacksburg for that game. Sorry but, to hear that. Yes. Um, not that it's an exciting game. It is a 12.30 kickoff, so I'll probably just fly into Charlotte and drive to, from Charlotte in the morning to get over there. Um, anyway, I, we, we asked for mailbag, and now I'm trying to get it on my Twitter account here. It's taking me a half second to get back to here it is. Um, all right. We're, we're here back to the full questions. This is from State of Miami, the State of Miami pod. Okay, now we got other podcasts listening to us. Hey, look at that. We're getting we're getting so famous. Other podcasts are asking us questions. Has Miami misevaluated talent on the team, or is it player develop is player development bad? I'll let you start. Okay, so I think related to the Middle Tennessee State game, I think I mentioned this uh, in the last episode. Maybe I didn't. I think what they got was a false sense of security from the way they played against A and M. Right. I think so many guys played above their head in AM that the coaches got a false sense of security and a false sense of confidence in these guys. And it just didn't work out for them. They should have just trusted the tape that they saw against Bethune and Southern Miss. Um, I think it's hard to say that they've misevaluated guys because not everybody in this roster is a recruit. As a matter of fact, the vast majority of guys on this roster, aside from the freshman and transfer portal entries that are coming in this year, are not their players. So has the the staffs have the staffs of the past misevaluated guys misevaluated guys probably to a certain extent to a certain extent some of them have been underdeveloped and again also part of it is some of these guys just didn't fit the schemes of the past or maybe don't fit the scheme right now and eventually they'll be transitioned out because of it but I think the biggest issue is you do not only have to recruit recruit talent and recruit um, needs 
you have to recruit personalities. You have to recruit guys that fit your culture. You have to recruit guys that you want to be in your program and be leaders. Right now, I think that's been the biggest void over the last 20 years is a lack of leadership. And that's something that, you know, it's not something measurable that you can see, okay, you ran a 40 at this time. This is a shuttle. This is a broad leap. This is a vertical. Oh, that's his leadership score. No, that's something you've got to get to know the kid about and understand him. And that's why Mario values those long-term relationships because he could see the kid's growth over time and see who he is from day one to the time he's ready to offer him a scholarship. And he knows what kind of kid he is. And that's what you need. Um, I think another thing that's kind of happened in terms of, you know, the, the rocky start at some point is I think maybe the coaches haven't developed the level of relationship with the current players that they need to. I think maybe because they came in with such cachet, this entire coaching staff, that they're like, hey, you know who I am? You know my name? I don't need to try and get you to buy in. This is what I need you to do, and you're going to do it because of who I am and who I put in the league. And some of that maybe has not gone over well. And I think it, it's now the time for them to circle together, bond as a team, and for everybody to be on the same page and extend each other the respect that they need to be able to be able to gather each other up pick each other up and execute the game plan as it needs to be and not be pointing fingers. Um, misevaluated talent. Yes, there has been misevaluation of talent. I think there's, I think unfortunately being in South Florida and, and I know this is not going to win me over any, any love from, from local high school coaches if they tune into this, but I, I think a lot of players down here have become overrated. Um, I think because of the history of South Florida, having so many players that have gone on to the NFL and had talent, that they get too much of the benefit of the doubt sometimes. And so much of college now is being able to adapt to the new coach that comes over and takes over because your position coaches aren't there for a long time. And I think a lot of these kids have trouble sometimes adapting to coaching changes, personnel changes. And, you know, there's a certain level of, as, as we talked about last week, acceptance of losing, right? Acceptance of, um, the history down here for the last 20 years, which hasn't been good, which has been very mediocre. So I, I do think, um, unfortunately, it's that a good portion of it. Player development bad? Yeah. I think sometimes these coaches aren't getting the most of what they can out of some of these players. And part of it is could be personality conflicts. They don't like the kid or they don't think the kid works hard enough or doesn't do what they want. Um, but, you know, the one thing I will say for Mario's staff and Kevin Steele and, and, you know, certainly some of the other guys on the staff is they, they always point the finger at themselves, like at least in the private conversations that we have sometimes saying it's my job to get this guy ready. I have to do a better job. Like can't always say that was the, the case here, you know, right. with previous coaches. So, um, and I think what you're talking about too, with these kids from South Florida is like, uh, it's, they aren't used to dealing with adversity and dealing with challenges the same way that teams in the past or guys in the past have. Because like you said, if they run into a situation where their team sucks and they're talented enough, they bounce, they go to another school and they're at the school and they don't like the system they're running. It doesn't fit them. It doesn't feature them. They bounce and they go somewhere else. Now with NIL and all this stuff, recruiting rankings, seven on sevens, all these things build up the egos of these guys. And if they're not mentally ready or mentally able to handle that challenge and still stay hungry, and still deal with adversity and change and be able to overcome and have that mindset of, Hey, I'm going to bust through this wall, no matter what it is or who's the coach or who I'm playing or what the system is, then that's what you end up getting. You're getting a bunch of, you get a bunch of the guys that, you know, are okay with losing because at the end of the day, they just care about their numbers and that's not what we want. Yeah. Um, the follow-up to this question from uh, Spurgeon's cigar is 
Why does it always seem as though we continually do less with more? Is dominating every non-FBS program too high in expectation? Um, well, yeah, I mean, they do dominate the non-FBS program. The problem is they don't know how to beat group of five schools now, right? I mean, three and three against Conference USA and their last six against them. Um, the good news is there's just ACC teams left. So Yeah, thank God. <laughs> you don't have to worry about any of the others. Yeah, at least we have a winning record the last few years against the ACC. Uh, in the group of five, not so much. Please don't ever put another Conference USA team on the schedule again. Please. <laughs> this is from David Hernandez, D. Hernan underscore. What will be the keys to victory this weekend? Seems running back and tight end will be thin. Is this a week we should see more passing plays called than running plays? Well, I think they're going to have to pass the ball no matter what. Um, the good news is North Carolina, um, I think, is the second or second to last um, wor- you know, worst team in terms of pass defense and giving up big plays. Miami, in terms of per play, gives up. They're ranked 130th out of 131 teams in pass defense, yards per, per attempt, okay? Um, I think North Carolina's 13th in the ACC, right right in front of them. Um, and they gave up a lot of big plays. Now, they showed up and they played well against Virginia Tech. They, they beat Virginia Tech 41 to 10. Um, yeah, Virginia Tech's offense sucks. And they held them under 100 yards rushing. So, eventually, I have a feeling North Carolina is going to get better, which is why I think at this point, especially after Pittsburgh losing, I would call them the favorite to win the division with the offense yeah. that they have. Um, but, again, they haven't been very good consistently, so we'll have to see this week. Disagree with, with my take? They're going to have to throw the ball? They're going to have to score points, man. I don't care how they do it. I mean, they're, they're going to have to throw the ball to get Tyler out of this funk. They're going to have to find some big plays in the passing game to be able to score enough points to stay with Carolina. But like I said, I also think they're going to have to run the ball well to be able to kill clock and, and limit possessions for Carolina. So it's going to have to be a mix of both. I think they're going to have to be balanced to win this game. I don't think doing it on one side of the ball or on one side of the offense is going to be enough. I think they need to be able to control the clock when they need to, run the clock down, pick up first downs and grind it out to when they need to, but at the same time find explosive plays in the, in the passing game. So. The way you do that is if you're running the ball well, you're hitting play actions, you're going down off, off the play action, throwing it down the field. Um, you're using RPOs. You're using different things to try and move the ball in the passing game while at the same time continuing to run the clock and grind it. And and every every possession is important in this game, but also every play. I think any positive gains, three, four, five yards, you live with that. Take it. Just take what the defense gives you. Move the ball down the field. Keep moving the chains. And then when the explosive play presents itself, you hit it. That's what you got to do. That's easier said than done. Uh, this is from Money Kane, uh, Marcus Williams. Which is more likely, the offense gets rolling or the defensive secondary improves? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think you're probably, I mean, damn, with all the injuries on offense, that's going to be tough. But I think improves to what degree is what we're going to say. I think, uh, will they be, get beat for six touchdowns and 600 yards by Drake May? Probably not. Maybe they improve. And they cut it down to three hundred and three. That would be that would be impressive to me. Um, offensively, I'm gonna, more likely to score points than stop Drake May. I think. I agree. I think they get toasted this week in coverage. I I don't. I, I it's nothing personal against Kevin Steele and his group. I just think everybody's been getting toasted by this offense. And and Virginia Tech actually has a halfway decent defense. So um, we're talking about a guy right now that's got fifteen hundred and eighty five yards and eighteen touchdowns to one interception in five games. And he's getting compared to uh, Josh Allen. To Josh Allen. Um, yeah, I'd say the offense getting rolling. I think there's Tyler Van Dyke's going to be motivated. I can see them scoring some points in this game. 
What is the offensive script for Gaddis knowing we have to put up points to win? Assuming everyone is healthy, do you see any changes on defense, maybe scheme or personnel? This is from Mark Wads. Um, the offensive script. The offensive script is continue to go with whatever's working. If they somehow come out and Tad Franklin is running for 300 yards, they're not going to stop Just running the ball. the ball. Yeah. Just give them the ball. Just figure it out. Whatever it takes this game. It's literally one of those games. Whatever it takes to win, you do it. I don't care if it's if you got to line up Lou Headley at running back and hand him the ball and let him kick people out of the way, kind of like the last Boy Scout, do that. This is from uh, Donald Keynes with a Z. Enough said. How many drives should be given to TVD? I say two drives before a change is made if needed. If TVD is rolling, you know the rest. I mean, it depends on how it looks. Um, I think I think you give him the first half. If he's if he's okay, you keep him in there. Um, but I think if it's a situation where he looks bad early on, you pull the plug. I, I don't think he's going to have that long of a leash. I would even even if I'm planning on keeping DV, TVD in the whole game, I give Garcia a series or two throughout the game just to keep him warm, just in case. If it's twenty-eight to seven in the second quarter, and Get North Carolina's rolling, Miami's not getting anything going offensively. You have to make the change. You have to make the change, and if it's and if it's because TVD's playing poorly again, um, you know maybe you book his flight for Dallas to us. <laughs> All right, this is from uh, the New England Kane title witnesser eight. Um, is leash on TVD short, or does it really have to implode again before they pull him and pull put in Jake? Now that they announced they're riding with TVD, I wonder how much it would take to pull him. Again, we just kind of covered this. I, I just think it, it all depends on how big a hole the hole is. Now, if it's 14-7 and TVD struggling, they probably give them the half. Yeah. If it's more than that and they're way behind like they were against Middle Yeah, they're Tennessee, down two scores plus and he's playing like shit, he's going to get pulled. Yeah, I think it's more dependent on how the defense does, really. Um, this is from Javier Garcia, Life and Sports 15. Injury status update on Cheney. Nothing's changed. In fact, I think Mario today was trying to remember Don Cheney's name and he forgot when he was talking Ooh. about other people. I mean, that's not ever good. Um, and he just kind of moved on. But uh, yeah, Cheney was the Cheney's probably out till the last month of the season at the earliest. Um, this is from Lionel Torres on Twitter. Do you feel like everyone is overreacting about the receivers? I haven't seen any shots being taken with our wide receivers when it's a one on one battle. At least give them a chance in the game to show something. There are certain players who show up in games and not always in practice. I don't think the stuff with the wide receivers is overblown. I think you've seen them make drop the ball uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, I think you've seen Michael Redding have a lot of opportunities dropped. I think you've seen Keyshawn Smith drop a couple he should have gotten. I think Frank Ladson played well last week, um, but hasn't been the threat in the vertical passing game they'd hoped he'd be. Um, you know, we saw guys like Jacoby George drop a couple of passes as well. So I don't think it's overblown, but at this point, there's so much wrong with the team after that last game that it's kind of like, yeah, put it on the shelf. That's not necessarily the worst thing that's going on. right um, Do I think they're overreacting to the wide receivers? No, because they're part of the passing game that's struggling. I think until some until the passing game gets rolling, uh, they're going to have the finger pointed at them. All right, this is from Matt Reed News. Um Matt says, how much blame should Mario get for the struggles on offense? Gaddis is getting the heat from the fans, but pundits have pointed at the regression Justin Herbert and the Oregon offense had going with Willie to Mario. Follow-up, do you see any scenario where Gaddis is fired at the end of the season? Um, if they average like 20 points a game, 
or less than that, Gattles will get fired uh, if he's unable to get this offense rolling. Again, dependent upon what the injury situation is. If the injury situation gets worse on offense, then maybe he has a built-in excuse. But, uh, yeah, I don't I don't see Gattis getting fired unless it's a situation like that where the offense is so atrocious throughout the year that he's gone, that he has to go. Um, as far as blaming Mario for what's going on, the regression with Justin Herbert, what did they do with, with Willie Taggart? Seven and five? They were four and eight when Mario took over, right? Well, that was Helfrich. And then Willie Taggart took over for Helfrich. And Willie Taggart was like seven and five, seven and six. And then Mario took him to nine wins right away and took him to a couple of Rose Bowls. So I would say whatever Mario's doing or whatever he did at Oregon worked. I think just because a guy's not putting up excessive numbers doesn't mean he's regressed or he's held them back. What he's done is put him, put the team ahead of the guy's numbers and it ends up working. And I think that's what we're going to look to here. Yeah, sometimes guys are going to be like I said, I said this last week and I said it on my pod. Just because TBD was throwing for 300 yards and three touchdowns doesn't mean the offense was lighting the world on fire, right? Let's remember how many three and outs were there throughout games where the offense was sputtering that we were like, what the hell is going on? What's wrong with Lashley? And they would end up scoring just about 30 points a game because, and it looked exciting because of the way they were scoring because they were hitting on big plays. But without those big plays, they weren't doing anything. They weren't able to run the ball. Yeah, mm-hmm. TBD would throw for 325 yards, but they'd have like 380 yards total offense. So it's not like a lot. the offense was boat racing people up and down the field. And when they struggled, they struggled mightily. I mean, they only scored over 40 points one time, and that was against Duke. And Duke gave up over 45 their last six games of the season last year. They gave up 62 to a schizophrenic Louisville offense. So come on. Yes, Tyler had a hell of a run at the end of the year. Was it great for team success? We were still 7-5. and five, Still lost to Florida State. So mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's calibrate these things, and let's, let's change our expectations a little bit that I would rather take Tyler Van Dyke throwing for 240, 250 a game and two touchdowns and go nine and three or 10 and two. Not going to happen this year, but um, rather than him throw for <laughs> 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns and be six and six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's, it's about the team success, the individual success. I mean, I, I think Mario, is he the greatest game day coach? No. Is he the greatest um, strategist? No. He's a great recruiter. And Butch Davis was a great recruiter. He didn't – what was Butch good at on game day? I forget. Was he a great strategist as well? Didn't he win? He yelled didn't a lot. Build, didn't he build a championship team at Miami? Didn't he uh, do his part at North Carolina? North Carolina turned around when he was there. I know they got in trouble, but I, I just – Look, man, sometimes head coaches, to me, I'd rather have an elite head coach as a recruiter than I would as a strategist. Um, I think Miami needs that more than anything else because who wants to come play for this program right now? 20 years of mediocrity. Um, You're not in the SEC, which everybody wants to play in. You're not in the Big Ten, um, which has all the money now. It's going to have all the coaches clearly when Wisconsin's firing their guy after he goes 67 and 26 or whatever it was. Um, I, I just, I can't really blame Mario for this. I'm not going to blame Mario for, for the offensive regression. Cause he's not, a, he's not, he, that's not what he sold himself as, as a head coach. We knew that we know he's not a strategist. Um, I think it's just, you know, can you blame him for not hiring the right coordinators? Maybe that's what we say at the end of the year, but I think I can certainly sit here and blame the roster more than anything else. And these players, because they've proven time and end, it doesn't matter who's coaching. Sometimes they're just not going to go out there and do their job. So, um, you know, and, and it's, you can't just sit here and say they're getting out talented by people because that's not happening. 
He wasn't going. And I think the development and the groceries. execution of the players at this point, the excuse that the coaching staff sucks is gone because everybody in this coaching staff is proven. So at what point now do we turn around and finally say, hey, guys, maybe you guys need to hold up your end of the bargain? Um, I think now. Now's a good time. Uh, yeah. this, is, this, is from, this is from T. Miller Golf on Twitter. Will Gaddis give in a little and spread things out to take advantage of what TVD did good last year? Less bunch formations, please. Oh, I'm going to leave this one for you. Okay. Um, here's the thing. When you do not have four wide receivers you can trust, you can't go straight two by two, four wide, one back wide receivers. Okay? So with four receivers and one back, that's not going to help. Other than Ladson, Keyshawn Smith, and occasionally Brashard Smith, who out there has been a reliable wide receiver? Because Michael Redding hasn't been all that reliable. We haven't seen Colby Young yet. Ronald Brinson's been here and there, but they don't obviously trust him enough to put him on the field. Jacoby George is hurt. So you're limited in terms of what you can put out there a receiver now on top of everything. Now, in terms of the formations and sets they use, Josh Gaddis was going five wide against Middle Tennessee. He did that quite a few times. They've gone two by two with the tight end on the field. They've spread it, and they've used multiple looks. I don't think getting caught up in the formations, um, one formation here or there, it doesn't make sense. The, you have to see the overall scheme of the game. I was actually going to chart the damn formations so people would stop saying that all we do is run tight bunch formations. We don't. We run all kinds of formations. And if you look at college football, it looks very similar to other people. I think the execution is the issue. And, yes, bunch formations are great on occasion. They could be difficult some other times because you're actually compressing the defense and making it easier for them to attack you with the blitz because it's a shorter run to the quarterback or to the running back. But at the same time, those formations are great to mix them up and cross them uh, off play action and to also add extra bodies in the run game. So, I mean, you've got to use it all. I don't think you're, you should be straight spread or straight bunch or whatever the, the formations you're thinking about. I think their system can be multiple and be effective. You saw it with Michigan last year. At the end of the day, it's, it's how you execute it. Um, we were just talking about Wake Forest. Wake Forest isn't necessarily your traditional spread team. Um, you look at service academies and what they do with their offenses. It's all about execution. If you can execute your offense and operate it, it doesn't really matter what you run. Because at the end of the day, remember what those old school hurricanes were running back in 2000, 2001 and 2002? High formation. Two wide receivers, one tight end. And some badasses. Um, yeah. All right, this is from Luke. Newman, Luke underscore Newman on Twitter. Considering we still control our own destiny in the Coastal, what are your thoughts on our chances to still be in Charlotte? I think after this game, you'll have your answer. If they get run out of the building by UNC, who has the best offense in the, in the conference, um, then they won't be there. And I think if they beat them, then they can beat probably anybody in their division. Yeah, and at the very least, they could always buy a plane ticket to Charlotte. So, I mean, the chances are very good they could be there if they want to be there. They could still go. Um, this is from Andrew V underscore 17 on Twitter. He's actually got three questions. Um, he apologized at the beginning. Does Miami have enough firepower on offense to beat UNC? Seems like a lot of key players will be out. Do they have enough firepower? No. I'll be honest. No, they don't. Not not proven firepower. I mean, right. I mean, if Bashard Smith comes out and has 300 yards and six touchdowns, then we'll be proven wrong. Um, but you tell me if you think that's going to happen. Man, I see it's very difficult without Jalen Knighton. Uh, very difficult without, you know, if Henry Parrish is 100%. It's very difficult with Will Mallory and Elijah Royer if they're both dinged up. I mean, it's going to be hard. I don't know if they have enough firepower. That means it's, they're going to have to create turnovers and, and limit the amount of possessions that, that Carolina has. 
the only way they can stay in this game is if they get turnovers and get them near the goal line, near Carolina's side of the field, to be able to punch it in on a short drive. And we haven't been able to do that either. So we'll see. Um, do you think all the players are buying into Mario's vision and culture? I always think there's always a couple that don't. Um, but we'll, again, we'll know more this week because this is the this is the moment, right? When when all foundations crack, right? When you lose a game and you get embarrassed and everybody's talking crap about you, including us. Um, this is the moment. Well, hold on. I would be including us. It's mainly you. I'm just here commenting on the thing you're saying. I am not talking crap about anybody. Yeah, that's right. Uh, what changes would you make if you were Mario coaching personnel? That's a good question. What changes would you make? Um, listen, if you could hit somebody off the transfer portal right now, like uh, if you could just go shopping, that'd be fantastic. But I think changes specifically defensively, I think you've got to trust your defensive line more. Um, I think you've got to roll with them and rush four, drop seven, drop eight on occasion, uh, mix coverages and try and confuse Drake May and try and get home with those defensive linemen and use the amount of bodies you have to your advantage to try and wear down Carolina's offensive line. Um, I would try and stay away from playing man-to-man against this team, uh, especially trying to man up Josh Downs or man up their tight end because those two guys are explosive. Do not do that, okay? Um, offensively, like I said, man, I think you've got to chew clock. I think you've got to try and hunt for big plays, but at the same time, try and consistently move the ball down the field, grind it out, get first downs, move the chains, eat clock and restrict positions from North Carolina and God help us. If we can get some turnovers, who knows? Hey, if I'm Mario, I bring the turnover chain back for this game. Just one game. <laughs> That's not happening, brother. Um, what changes would I make? Um, wow. I, I don't know that you can make any changes on the fly here. I mean, other than to me, the quarterback, right. And, and in terms of what offense he's running, how, how, how you sort of, spread the field out more. Um, I don't know that any of that is really going to make a difference at this point. I think it's more about the Jerry's and the Joe's right now and them doing their job. Um, man, it's hand grenade time, baby. Let it rip. See if anybody comes out with it. Um, this is from Canada Canes in Mario's point of view. If TVD is unable to return to form, is that a bigger indictment on Tyler or Josh Gaddis? Listen, if you are an NFL prospect, right, if you are a guy that should be going in the first round, you should be able to adapt to any offensive scheme they throw at you because you're not going to have the same offensive scheme forever in the NFL, right? And it's not going to match your college scheme. So what you're telling me is that Tyler Van Dyke can only operate in Lashley's offense, and that's the only way he could look good? That's not a pro quarterback. A pro quarterback can flourish in any system. He could lead his team through adversity to victory. If Tyler can't show those qualities, then – it's not on Gaddis. It's on Tyler. He's got to make it happen. If it's a situation where he comes out and he's hitting guys in the face with the football and the ball's bouncing off their face mask, bouncing off their chest, bouncing off their hands, and we can clearly see that it's not his fault, cool. Then I'll accept that. But if we get the same mopey, emo Tyler that we got last game and, and his inconsistency with his accuracy, then at some point we got to look at him and say, okay, maybe the issue is you can't handle it. You can't handle the pressure, which I don't think is the case. I think he's a good guy. I think he's a, he's a tough guy. I think he's got that in him, but somehow it's it's slipped away on him. And I think this may be the game that he gets the opportunity to claim all that back, and it's in his hands. All right. Well, I'm going to answer this a little differently just because, Justin, the way he phrased his question, um, Canada Canes on Twitter, he said in Mario's point of view, I, I think he's trying to ask, what would Mario think? 
Um, I think Mario would probably put it more on the coaches publicly, but internally he'd probably put it more on the quarterback and you could tell by actions because he could just go with Jake. Uh, he's not going to fire Josh Gaddis until the end of the season if that happens. Um, right. And in the end, it's just about – it doesn't matter who it is. That's the quarterback. It doesn't matter who the coordinator is. For Mario, it's just about getting the job done. And that's what you want your head coach to think. Exactly. Um, all right. And this is, we're going to wrap these up here. This is from Lauren Polo. Um, do you think even hypothetically questioning this staff and Mario's status on potential to fail – and talking through scenarios about hiring lower tier coaches from the MIAC might contribute to the microwave success this fan base is looking for. We're overrated um, year after year. The toxicity and patience from just one bad loss, however bad it was, and our attendance tanks. I know we're a front-running fan base, but damn, like, how do we change our culture as a fan base, or is it inevitable? A lot of questions. Sorry. Okay, first of all, like Thanos, our fan base toxicity, inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as far as that, the, the looking, working through scenarios where the staff would fail and looking at me at coaches and things like that, we said that within the context of what happens if this team does not succeed under Mario. And that's where we were staying. Not that Mario wasn't going to succeed. What we said was what would happen if this team does not succeed as expected under Mario Cristobal. And at that point, we both discussed that the money's going to dry up. You know, they're not going to keep investing in the program. They're probably not going to try and make another big hire like they did with Mario. At that point, they're going to have to look at lower tier coaches because the money's not going to be there anymore. Because are you going to continuously throw money in a hole when you're getting nothing back in return? When you could have just continued to invest the bare minimum in the program and turn a profit like you were before. Why invest all this money, dig yourself in a hole and get the same shit? 1,000%. That is what is being said in the background after four games. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. That's Those conversations are happening. Comments are being made. Why are we spending our money on this football program if things aren't going to change on the field? But how much leeway, how much time? Look, until that new football facility is built, okay, the forever home, as Dan Radakovich calls it, of Miami football, I think until that thing goes up, that's when I'll believe the full investment in football is taking place. And also, Polo, the the attendance sucked against Southern Miss, uh, and the attendance are showed in air until after Middle Tennessee. So you can't blame us for the attempt. I will say this, okay? I've covered Miami-Florida State games for many years. I've never covered a Florida State game without Miami there, okay? How was that? Leaving Dope Campbell Stadium was a different experience than leaving Hard Rock Stadium uh, in the sense that Florida State, that game was 31-21, okay? They knew that. First of all, they had respect respect for Wake Forest um, in terms of the fan base. They were like, man, Wake Forest is a good team. Secondly, um, they weren't cursing at players. They weren't screaming at them. They weren't booing them. They're kind of like, hey, you know what? We lost today. Get them next time. Different mentality, man. Just a different, different world up there in Tallahassee compared to what it's like down here. We know how toxic it can get. And so um, the one thing I will say for Florida State fans, I, again, I haven't been around many other non-Miami games, but it was a little refreshing to think that as much as they were maybe groaning inside, they didn't publicly display it. And I think there's something to be said about that, especially when recruits are in town. Yep. All That's right. It. 
we got one more. This is from Gilbert Fernandez. It's more of a comment. Um, Fernandez underscore G on Twitter. Mario looking a lot like Manny, like previous coach, like previous coach. What happened to the best players starting? I guess he's assuming that Jake. He's assuming there's better players on the bench. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Let me explain to you. Let me explain something to you, my G. Because uh, it's underscore G as well, right? Um, dude, just, just between us, all right? I'm going to block Manny out of my screen. So it's just you and me talking, G, okay? Just, there's nobody to go to, man. This is, this, is, this is it. Like, if any more people get hurt, G, any more people get hurt, they're going to win three games. That's how bad this team is right now, okay? We are not this mega talented team that you believe in. I know everybody falls in love with recruits and shit. I know everybody reads 24-7. And you find your favorite recruits on the huddles and you love those guys and you follow them everywhere they go. And you swear when they get to college, they're going to be great because that's your favorite guy. And then they lay in it. Guess what? That's life, man. Not everybody's as good as they sometimes make themselves out to be. That's how I got my wife. I made her believe I was better than I really am. And now she's stuck. Nowhere to go. All right. And that's where we are as a hurricane fan base, man. Deal with the fact that what you've seen for 20 years is the truth. What is the one constant over the last 23, 20 years? It has not been the coaches. It's been the players we recruit. And they've been underperforming, and they've been uh, overvalued. So what does that tell you, man? That's the end of my PSA. Wow. <laughs> and you just called me a hater. Good grief. Listen, man, sometimes they bring it out of me. But, hey, listen, you know me. First of all, let's establish what kind of a hurricane maniac I am. This shirt and this hat, okay, I was not, I didn't put this on for the podcast. I had this on already. Okay. As you know, 90% of my wardrobe is hurricane related. So I am a masochist. I am deeply committed to this football team, even though they've caused me nothing but pain for the last 20 years. They have done me like the Gip did Marcellus Wallace in Pulp Fiction for 20 years, Manny. 20 years. Okay. And I'm still here. I'm still taking it. I still got the ball, my, the ball gag in my mouth, and I'm there. Don't you say a word. I know what you're thinking. They but got a good, they got a good picture, but go ahead. Don't, don't, Dick. I'm still here. I want you to keep doing it. Okay. And by the way, Darren Ravel. Uh, Darren. Did he is, comment on our podcast too? No, we did not get oh. a question from Darren Ravel, but oh, he shit. did say this on Twitter. Okay. Um, I guess there's some reporting being done on how. Multiple SMU players plan to sit out the rest of the season, enter the transfer portal. Uh, and Darren adds, first game players sitting out bowl games to ensure they didn't get hurt and lower their draft potential. Here's what's next in the NIL era. Players starting to sit out to be healthy for the transfer portal. And he says, expect this to happen at Miami, Houston, and Michigan State. I don't know if there's any healthy players left at Miami for that to happen. <laughs> Oh but all right, God. brother. <laughs> Jesus. Like, it's, you always find a way to depress me at the end of these podcasts. Hey, that's, that's what funny. I'm here for. I'm Debbie Downer, man. That's what I'm here you've for. Been pissing, you, you've been pissing on parades since 03. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop till they win a championship. It's the <laughs> only way. Got to keep it real. Got to keep it real. Hold their feet to the fire. When keeping it real goes wrong. Goes wrong. <laughs> the jinx. The story of the Miami Hurricanes for the last 20 years. <laughs> Thanks, Carlos. Make sure to check them out at the MIA all day pod, get sign up for his YouTube page, subscribe, 
I mean, I don't, I don't even need to promote you anymore. Everybody knows who you are. That's why I keep messaging. You know, people are asking me, who's this Carlos guy, man? What does he do? What does he do? How, how come he's on your show? What is, where did he come from? What does he know? Absolutely guys. not. As you can tell, if you've been listening to the show, I know absolutely nothing. I'm just here for comic relief. All right, we'll be back with Andy Bitter, our uh, the Athletic later this week covers Virginia Tech. We'll have something with him probably Wednesday, but that's gonna wrap up our uh, podcast for tonight. Carlos, thank you. We will talk again soon. Peace, go Canes. It's all about the youth.